In this episode of Gracearchy with Jim Babka, we present a graceful and effective tool for analyzing so-called crony capitalism or plausible conspiracy theories. Let's get right into it. Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. I'm Bill Protzman, your moderator. This episode of Grace Archie, like all others so far, is sponsored by Zero Aggression Project. Check out www.zeroaggressionproject.org. That's two G's and two S's, people, if you're like me and have trouble spelling things. And please subscribe. But why? Why? Well, for one thing, Zero Aggression Project provides a wonderful set of thinking tools called mental levers. Many articles that provide powerful, effective analytical mechanisms that explain how the world works. And today's episode is very much in that vein. You could even call the concept of Baptists and bootleggers a mental lever, right, Jim? Yes, yes. I'm excited to discuss this today because I think this is a very powerful tool. Uh, economics is a study of human action, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, we tend to think too much of like numbers and and various types of charts and graphs when we think of economics, but economics measures incentives why do humans do the things they do in a world of limited resources and limited time? Why, what, why do they make decision A instead of decision B? One area that this uh, is done in is what's called public choice theory. I'm, I'm fond of this particular school of thought because it treats human beings as if they're not angels, nor are they demons, but they're actors playing inside a system that has rules and those rules create certain incentives. And it tries to look for those incentives and then begin to explain why someone would do the things that they do, whether they are a politician, a bureaucrat, a candidate for office who loses, uh, a voter, a lobbyist. It looks at all of their activities in a more rational way, and it doesn't necessarily assume that they are angels or demons. Is a public choice theory based on like the collective choice or the individual choice? It's based on the individual choice of the people participating in the market. So a public choice theorist would consider the government to be an abstraction. Government doesn't have a motivation, but the actors inside of it do. And it's possible for the actors inside of it to have widely divergent motivations. Sure, uh, makes sense. But if But if you understand what those motives and incentives are, then you can begin to you can begin to better understand and even to some degree predict how they will behave in a given situation. And a historical pattern is even formed on this basis that we can keep looking back at again and again. This sounds like Rene Girard. It's like the theory. What is that? Mimetic theory. Mimetic theory. Yeah. How people why how and why people choose what they do. Yeah. He, so Girard was very interested in. It's a very he underlies almost everything we're doing here, even though we haven't talked about him as much as I wanted to. Um, he, he basically explained that we have desire that, that mo moves us to do certain things. Now, this is more hyper-specific. These, these are the motivations of the actors in our social political system. 
why are they why are they people in government or relating to government doing the things that they choose to do as they choose to do them and and i say purposely this concept of angels versus demons because i do think there is a constant drive in politics this is one of the things i think is toxic about it to label people as demons say that the bad the the people you disagree with are stupid or worse evil and and Sometimes, like, for example, when a conspiracy theory begins to get spun up, the real purpose of the conspiracy theory is not to get at the truth in, in many cases, but it's to validate that the people that you thought were bad are worse than you thought they were. It's, it's a self-confirming mechanism. Why, you know, I knew they were bad, but this just proves they're actually worse than I thought. And public choice theory allows you to understand that there are reasons that actors act even when they're in the, particularly when they're in the incentive of the public sphere, where they are doing something government related, politics related. And of course, if you're doing something, anything that's government related, you're automatically suspect by all the conspiracy people. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and by the way, you know, you kind of should be in some ways, but I have found this to be a more gracious way of analyzing the behavior of actors inside a system. And uh Public choice theory or yes, public choice the, theory. okay, public choice theory. Okay, public choice theory. Yeah, because I I can understand so, so I can be in. Uh, so I I, I kind of like that you brought up Gerard. Um, I hadn't thought about it from that angle, but Gerard is kind of general. This is much more specific to a given area, and right. Gerard is anthropology. This is economics. So, right, and and I love this is an economic theory. This Baptist versus bootleggers thing, or Baptist <laughs> bootleggers together. <laughs> Is it is an economic uh, way in? Yes. So uh, we probably should define who the Baptists and bootleggers are. Oh, wait a minute. I got one for this. The Baptists, aren't they the people that say that we need to outlaw weddings because it leads to dancing? <laughs> well, that's harsh. I was raised Baptist. <laughs> I'm not quite sure they were opposed to weddings, but I... I know. I, I can say this in mixed uh, yeah, company, no, right? I get where you come from. It's Actually, I've got a funny story. I'll have to tell you about that sometime. But what I want to say here is that the, the Baptist is the person who is the moralist in, in a crusade. Okay, so it's like the archetype. Yes. We have we have the moral authority to uh to tax you. Yes. So Bruce Yandel, Bruce Yandel, Y-A-N-D-L-E, comes up with this idea. Uh and and it has wonderful alliteration to it. So it's it is memetic, M-E-M, right? As in like the memes you see on Facebook. That's meme worthy. <laughs> it sticks in your head, right? So, so you can understand Baptists. We, it's a colorful description to combine with somebody that's very, very different, which is a bootlegger. So the bootlegger is, so the, the analogy that's used to, to create these two archetypes is that, that on Sunday, the Baptists don't want liquor sold because it's the day of rest and worship. On Sunday, the, the bootleggers don't want alcohol sold because that's the day that they can deliver it through prohibitive means. It's a day open for them to profit because it's not available in stores for legal purchase. So, so as I'm a, I'm a bootlegger, I'm profiting off of the Baptists' uh, agenda, social agenda. And it benefits me because I can sell things at a higher price when all the liquor stores are closed, right? This is exactly correct. So there's actually a modern, real version. There's multiples of these, but there's a modern, real version that's kind of shocking to a lot of people that shows how these two parties, even though their values couldn't be more different, their motives itself couldn't be more different, but their incentives line up. And that is uh, 
we've talked about Ralph Reed on this show before. So Ralph Reed was a friend of a fellow by the name of Jack Abramson, had known him since college years. And Jack became a very successful lobbyist and Ralph became the leader of the Christian coalition. So these are both famous, powerful men with lots of connections deep in Washington. So Jack Abramoff wanted to stop a casino from being built because he had clients on Indian reservations. So this is his, these are, these are the people who have a monetary uh, goal. They're trying to profit off of stopping or preventing their competitors from being able to do things. Their, ob- their, their economic motivation is, is obvious. He hires Ralph Reed to partner with him to go motivate the moralists who would not want a casino to be built. And of course, history tells us they got caught. Uh, Abramoff was uh, uh, got in a lot of trouble with the law and ended up going to prison. Uh, Ralph Reed did not go to prison, but he's very embarrassed by his role in in that event and claims lacks of certain uh, a lack of certain knowledge in, at some junctures. But this is a classic Baptist and bootlegger action where, frankly, Ralph Reed's prime audience was Baptist. You know, I mean, they, that's their Baptist mentality, literally. And yeah, and so. You can get a sense of how this mechanism works if you understand stories like this again and again and again. This is happening right now with uh, issues having to do with the environment. Oh, I don't yeah. want to say too Big many time. buzzwords because the Al Gore will catch on to us, but you have people who are profiting and they are working with the moralists who want to save our planet. Yeah, the whole spotted owl thing and shell oil's big, you know, turn gr- turning green, all of that. Yeah. So, uh, what we're talking about here, the thing that begins to matter here, is what t- people typically call crony capitalism. Oh yeah. Exactly. Now, I have a hard time with this phrase. I only use it. I only use it because most people recognize it. Like if I say it, it doesn't require a lot of explanation for you to say, well, what does that mean? Yeah. I, I, I don't believe that the two things go together. Capitalism is not cronyism by nature. What capitalism actually is, is the ability to uh, have a private resource where you're able to save some of your, your profits and reinvest them in tools that will make your, your, business more successful. We call this toolism. That would be another way that you could look at it. That is what it is. And anyone who has a savings account, anyone that has a savings account, they're saving for another day to do something is a capitalist. It's just that simple. It means keeping some of your resource aside so you can do more things better later. Things will become easier for you. Maybe you're saving up to buy a car. Maybe you're saving up to replace the furnace with a more fuel efficient one. Like again and again, you're trying to do things, you're trying to get more with less, you're trying to increase your wealth, and you save up to do that. That's all capitalism is. Now, unfortunately, the capitalists have figured out how to rig the system so that they can socialize the losses and privatize the profits. And that's where you get this cronyism. But I don't believe that the one word needs to modify the other is with the little mini lecture I'm going on here right now. It's not crony capitalism. It's capitalism on one end, has very little to do with the fact that there are cronies sitting at the table 
And the cronies are asking for special favors from the state. They're looking for contracts. They're looking to put their competitors out of business. They're looking for protective legislation to keep foreign or other types of competition away from them. They're looking for other special benefits and privileges. They're looking to see their competitors crushed. They even go so far as to try to use the government to spy on their opponents. They use the government to use military force and intelligence paid for by the taxpayers to clear the way for the things that they want to do. And all of these actions are actions of cronies. And cronies show up repeatedly, and the cronies even manage somehow to conspire in dark, in private, against the interests or the broad general interests, what we call the general welfare of the American people. So when we're starting to look at the question of cronyism, bootleggers and Baptists is a really nice tool to have to help us analyze this situation and understand why various actors in the system do the things that they do. So for everybody who's listening and just heard all of Jim's allegations, we're going to intentionally sweep those under the rug for a minute so that we can look at uh, a more important question, which is, can a crony be a Baptist or a bootlegger? Yes. Yes. Uh, in fact, they could be very convinced. Um, you know, there was, I, I forget the CEO who said what's uh, of GM, who said what's good for GM is good for America. Oh, Jack Welch? No, Jack Welch was with GE. And this is a much oh, sorry, earlier. Yes. This is yeah. a much earlier dude. Uh, somebody listening is going to be able to write in and tell us who that was. Uh, it's not off the top of my head as I'm sitting here. But there is a mentality that can take hold where you do believe that, uh, you know, listen, we're working in the interests of national security here. And, you know, it's a good thing that we lie uh, and cover up certain things in that in that vein so that the moral cause is attached to the actual financial cause in some cases. And right. so this whole GM, what's good for GM is good for America thing. You know, what's good for big labor, you know, it's good for my union is good for America. I mean, a lot of people do think these things go together and that they do deserve. They deserve. It's the moral right and good and just thing that they get that. Sure. But I, the, the, the part of this dynamic that is most intriguing to me and that caused light bulbs to go off for me personally a couple of years ago as I began contemplating this was that you only need a few bootleggers, but you need a lot of Baptists. So let's go back to the Ralph, Ralph Reed story. Ralph yeah. Reed, uh, Jack Abramoff had a small set of clients that were paying his bills. Ralph Reed's job was to create a mass movement of people who opposed what was happening. He was supposed to create the mass movement. The bootleggers, to some degree, used the Baptists to their advantage. They're a little bit sh more shadowy and behind the scenes in terms of what they're doing and what their motivation is. Now, the same thing happens, again, when we're looking at, say, an environmental question, is that there are lots of people who are willing to do something for no apparent profit. They are moved by their own values, their own judgment of a given situation. They will do things that, is, that even are, are somewhat sacrificial in nature to try to get something accomplished that they believe is a positive, necessary social good. But the bootlegger is standing in the background profiting from it. And this has happened in, in food and diet. This has happened in energy and environment. This has happened in military settings, uh, you know, in terms of the tools and projects that are, this has happened again and again where certain things are justified morally. They become a moral crusade, a moral cause. And when I say Baptist, I want you to understand we could be talking about people who are completely secular, who worship Mother Gaia, 
It could be a variety of different people who are morally compelled and willing to do things even at their own expense or loss. But behind the scenes, there are people who are more than willing to give to these causes, support these causes, help promote the spread of these causes, who are cashing in on these causes. So it's bootleggers are the cronies and moralists are their enablers. So and they our may job, be completely unwitting. Like as we're as a public citizen is thinking about this, our, our job is to dig in to the situation and try to identify who the bootleggers are. Who's winning? And that's an economic question, right? Follow the money? Follow the money is a good, uh, man, it's a wonderful little heuristic. I mean, it, 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 qui bono is the way to go uh, in a lot of cases. So and that's not a conspiracy, follow the money. That's a actual look at the ledger. You know, we can tell from the balance sheet, kind of follow the money. So I, I see this tool in a graceful sense. I mean, we can't have an episode without talking about the grace of the matter, right? Yeah. So our grace point comes now instead of at the end. And that is that um, if, if we're looking at a situation and we simply dismiss our opponents as evil, then what we've chosen is a straw man. And in fact, in terms of doing that, we're justified in picking the most straw man argument and then burning that one down. We have advocated again and again a steel man argument. And it turns out that often the steel man argument in the in case of public choice theory is also Occam's razor. It's it's the shortest distance between two points. It's the it's the it's the explanation that has the best chance of being correct, and it doesn't necessarily treat everybody involved as evil. In fact, it probably does, it probably denies that. It says if you were in that same situation, your incentives would be the same too, and your ability to act differently would be very constrained. It might not even occur to you. And so it allows us to begin, you know, that thing, that tolerance and forgiveness pattern we always speak of and then say that grace yep. is that willingness to go a bit further to understand. It's that thing that begins to tune you in. Like, let's say that grace is like a frequency out there and you've got a, a, a radio dial and you're trying to figure out how to get it exactly to the point where you can, you don't have any static anymore. You're able to start to detect it and hear it and recognize it. That's what this does in, in the sense of being able to have grace for people who are doing things politically that might be abhorrent to you. So I'm with you on this uh, to a point because <laughs> as human beings, subject to the you know human choice kind of things, we tend to pick the easy way out, which is often not the accurate way out, especially when we're influenced in so many ways by Al Gore <laughs> to slide over to the easy way because lots of other people are sliding that way too. Yeah, so, so by the way, folks, we are not, when we say Al Gore, we're not using a specific word to trigger certain a certain process. We are describing yes, I say Al Gore's rhythm. Yeah that, we, yeah, that turns us down. Sometimes when yeah. he hears words it doesn't like, you get what we're saying now. Okay, you get what we're saying. On. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, but you were, you were saying, I'm sorry. So what is the, um, what is the intellectual hook on this? Or maybe even just the heart hook. What's the grace hook that says, wait a minute, I'm not going to slide right now. I want to try to discern what's really going on here. And it might take a little heavy lifting because I'm out of practice, but how do you um, resist the slide, if that makes sense? Are you talking about for the for the actors that are actually participating, either the Baptists or the bootleggers? Or are you talking about observing their activity from the outside? And, and I'm, from... as a public citizen, I'm just observing and going, okay, so what's the deal here? What's happening? Help me understand this. 
whatever this situation might be? Well, the first thing I would say is that the majority of Baptists in, 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 in the situation are well-meaning. Like, this is the whole point. Like, their intentions are good. They believe in their heart of hearts. I Notice I didn't say their brain of brains. Their heart of hearts, that they're doing the right thing. That they're yeah. doing the good thing. And they have an, maybe, from your perspective, an incomplete view of reality. They might be missing some facts. That doesn't make them stupid. Um, but they they believe that they're doing the right thing. And if you... So there is a repeated pattern where we as American people are shooting the other, the fellow peasants. We uh, are believing that our neighbors are the bad guys. Right. You know, it's those damn liberals. Oh, you know, it's those crappy conservatives. Yep. And, and the problem with this is that there are people, bootleggers in particular, cronies, who profit off of us, us being at each other's throats. So to the degree that we could begin to recognize that we are not each other's enemy, but that some of this is, some of the conflict between us is engineered to be so, then we have the ability to resist that. And in resisting that means we don't uh, straw man, scapegoat, and do some of the other bad things that we do to our neighbors. We instead start to see them a little more peacefully. Well, you know, uh, Bill, you may be wrong, but you're not wrong because you're a bad, evil person. You're well, not I'm clearly wrong. wrong, but it has nothing to do with how evil I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, precisely. I, you know, it's, it's really big of you to acknowledge that. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm just trying to be right. graceful here because I know I'm going to challenge your point of view soon and you're going to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Could come in the next 20 seconds. Perhaps so, evil. Yes. <clears throat> So, but I'm, I'm the crony part of this is really pernicious. And, and what I want to say is that yeah. it is, I see it as an evil in the world as a force because it involves a form of like theft or special privilege or advantage over the rest of us. It doesn't have that empathetic heart to it. It instead says I should be special and I should get the benefits of your labor and what they typically do in these situations, and we see this again and again, is they set up licensing schemes and cartels and, and um, tariffs and border controls and a whole host of other things to keep other people from being able to appreciate or enjoy their happiness so that we can keep a little more of ours. We don't have to share as much, right? Now, the problem with this whole way of thinking is that the, the, it, it presumes that there is a, a limited sum, there's, there's a pie, and everybody has to get, there's only so many slices of this pie. But the truth of the matter is that when freedom reigns, when people are allowed to interact with each other on a voluntary basis, that the pie expands. So cartels are based on fear and they end up special privileging people. And I see that as a, the most basic evil that starts to occur uh, under the, under the in a crony situation. So that's, that's one place bootleggers show up in government. And then it rewards political connection over customer service. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, so much of our economics would be vastly improved it was, if it was oriented towards the customer is always right. If a customer wants something, they should be able to get it. And everybody should be trying to clamor to meet the demands of a customer. This is a completely voluntary transaction because the customer can say, no, I don't want to buy your product. And, uh, but they should be trying to figure out ways to, to satisfy those needs instead of what they commonly do, which is worry about appeasing the government. 
Now, in this particular case, I want to turn to social media because we now have significant evidence through the Twitter files and whatnot that indeed the state's threats had more power than what the desires of the of the people using the platform were. And there are there is a conflict between the revenue model where they had advertisers and and the users who were kind of the product to those advertisers. And I'm not dealing with that aspect of it here. I want to be clear. I know it's more complicated than what I'm about to say. But the fact of the matter is a number of things were done that caused severe social damage and that turned people off to the product. They're not showing up. You see, Facebook needed people to show up before, and they're willing to burn off that to stay in good favor with violent governments and not just ours. There are states that are more violent throughout the planet that would be willing to say even kidnap employees. Jack Dorsey described in an interview with uh, Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Ball earlier this summer that uh, Twitter had these problems in, in various nations around the planet where they would just say flat out, like, you don't want to comply with us. We'll just go arrest the people that are working here on the ground in our country. We'll hold them indefinitely until you get right, get it right. You know, it's we're willing to do that. Now, these governments, by the way, since have denied that that's the case. But do you, I, mean, I, I, I tend to believe Jack in this instance. So uh, what ends up happening is it becomes more important to supplicate and please the powerful who have these offices than it is to satisfy a client base. So that's another pernicious space. That's even beyond bootlegging. That's just, you know, by force. Yes. But but it starts, this is cronies come and then they ask then for this some of this power. Can we have a piece of this power to put our own competitors out of business? Can we have a piece of this power to get contracts for special advantages? Can we yeah, become the default system? Yeah. And then yeah. I believe next it impoverishes uh, us, particularly in comparison to the sci-fi world that could have been. If we hadn't regulated and restricted and suppressed people's ability to create, if we hadn't made it so hard because we were busy trying to protect these cartels, we all end up losing a better world as a result of cronyism. Cronyism is especially uh, pernicious. And then finally, I believe it suppresses the lower and middle classes because it cuts off the opportunity. It makes it much more expensive to compete. Regulation tends to benefit the most powerful in that. And by the way, you know, you would expect the big capitalists, as they're always being talked about, to not want regulation. Quite the contrary is true because they can hire the lawyers, they can hire the compliance officers, they can hire the staff to navigate that particular jungle. And they know it'll keep pesky pain in the ass competitors from competing with them. And so uh, because they have fewer competitors, it's completely worth the cost to them to have this system. And by the way, they will show up and use a tool called regulatory capture, which is another public choice concept, meaning that they have control, the people being appointed to the boards, the commissions, the advisors, the, the inspection positions will be people that either came from their industry or want future jobs in those same industries. And they will, if they're good cooperative people, not really doing the regulatory safety job you were hoping they were going to do in the first place, they will get more pay later coming back to work for the company. It, the, uh, in Japan, they have a wonderful concept for describing this. They call it the ascent to heaven, right? You, you get- Seriously? You get, yes. Yes. You get, you, you get to do something in the government and then you get a private position out of your work there. You get a, where you're much better, uh, re, a better level of re remuneration- uh, because you did a good job as a regulator. The company appreciates your service. So this is like a, a well, we got to tell the Baptists about this. I guess we just did. <laughs> we 
too. We need to let them understand what cronyism actually works and that there's bootleggers right. behind it. Okay. So, exactly. you know, my, my discovery of this concept, uh, which I, 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 I sus- sincerely suspect I'm taking far further than Bruce Yandel. I'm about to anyway, take it far further than he, uh, intended or would personally, um, came because of my ability of my observation uh, a couple of years starting a couple of years ago uh of a certain gentleman who uh was kind of pretending to be the nation's doctor during a time of medical crisis we shall say oh yeah don't want to trigger me we don't want to trigger yeah who <laughs> yeah little yeah little little Antony. yeah yeah, little Antony. yeah. we don't want to trigger uh al gore's you know alleged rhythm we don't want to get them going here uh, but uh, during that time, uh, it definitely did seem that there was a Baptist and bootlegger type of situation. And in the bootleggers in this case were the people who would, were making a certain product that I like to call big shot. And uh, whether or not you believe this was efficacious, it was still a very good deal for them to have all the production costs uh, taken on by the government to be made immune by government to any legal risk that would come from using their product, and then subsequently to be able to keep all the profits that came that included things like a mandate. The thing was given away for free, and then a mandate was piled on top of it. This is the ultimate bootlegger maneuver, and we to this very hour have millions, tens of millions of Baptists who believe it was all justified, They are on a moral crusade and it's okay with them that your money was taken and that this is how it was done. And it's okay with them. In fact, it's shocking in some cases because some of these people, a a significant number of them, would typically before this event have railed against corporate profits of this nature. They might have even looked at the big shot industry, the industry that produced it, as one of the corporate enemies. And suddenly they have like a come to Jesus moment right? They become Baptists overnight. They have a conversion and they say, this is a moral cause. So I don't care how many of my other principles were violated as a result of it. They go on a crusade. They begin walking around saying that the people who are not as moral as them are the very reason that the disorder or the disease exists. They're that highly motivated. And we have evidence now that they were manipulated into that position too. They may not realize it. They may not like to hear it as I'm saying this out out loud right now, but the bootlegger operation was there and the Baptists were the ones that made it possible. And this is once again, my observation, my unique observation about this. You need far more Baptists. You see, the profits can't be dispersed. There's not enough profit to go around for everybody to be on the bootlegger train. So you've got to get a lot of people who agree to work for free. And that's where your Baptists come in. Sometimes they come in after the fact, like in the opioid crisis. Yes. Yes. But I think they're always there. They are. They're always there. Waiting for something to glom onto. Uh, Even when that something turns out to be like a conspiracy that's wildly crazy and inaccurate. So here's where I want to take this before we finish the show today. I want to, I want to, this is the place I'm going that maybe Bruce Yandel would not want to go with his particular, his particular theory. And so my apologies in advance, but I believe that this is also a more graceful way uh, to look at conspiracy theory. So conspiracy theorist is generally a ad hominem pejorative statement. It's designed to just name call and not actually look in the, at the evidence. 
it, it kind of is a view that there may be dragons in, over there. Like, don't go check out that view because there may be dragons over there. You're going to be better if you just pretend it doesn't exist. Don't even permit yourself to consider it. And the fact of the matter is many, many conspiracy theories out there are not conspiracy theories. They're conspiracy myths. They're conspiracy shams. They're conspiracy trolls. Uh, things that are going on that, that are outright myths. But it is dangerous to you if you cannot recognize the, the times where a conspiracy is real and where the reality of that situation may be affecting you or your family where it lives, or it may be affecting your nation and the way that it's operating and constructing. It is dangerous to overlook that. And I believe that Baptist and bootleggers is an important tool. It might be one of the most important tools in analyzing whether something actually is a conspiracy and in helping you and analyze it not to be a kook. Oh, it's too late for me, but give us an example. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get into an ex some examples. I, I, I would like to, to, to delve into the notion of conspiracy in future episodes and talk specifically about the tools uh, that would be available. Good. But one of the things that you have to be able to do uh, in analyzing this is understand that sometimes accidents happen, sometimes things that are unpredictable happen, sometimes there are circumstantial situations, and there may even be particular incentives that, that motivate a given behavior. And it's possible that people even doing what to you, and even on an objective moral basis, is shocking. It's so shocking they feel the need to cover it up. They're not sure you would understand they believe that what they were doing at that time was for the public good, uh, for the good of their institution or organization, um, that there's some other higher principle that they believe that they're following at that moment that justified things like lying, for example, covering things up. Yeah, uh, They may have what are very reasonable motives for doing something that is not good. And if you understand that maybe they thought some ex something existential and really severe was at stake, then I think it allows you to better determine whether or not something's true. Now, if you have a, a theory where something where the necessity is to believe that someone wakes up in the morning hoping to be evil, like they're Dr. Evil themselves, they, they do evil for evil's sake. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't people like that. But if you, if you believe that that's what people are doing, then I believe that 99% of the time, you'll have a harder time finding the truth. You just will, because that's not how most people function most of the time. Even actions that people do that are wrong in many cases, and this is a this is a grace point I'm making here. They're doing because they believed at the time it was justified. They're doing it because they believed at the time it would get them what they wanted. And if you understand that they may have a motive in what it is that they're doing, your ability to ascertain correctly what happened and why is better. Yes, I'm with you on this. I've been thinking through the Vietnam conflict because I yes. know so many Vietnam veterans who are, you know, they're aging out of the system now and, and uh, trying to ascertain what the viewpoints are that may or may not have changed from guys who were in the fight, right? And people who were present watching the fight. And sussing that out is not an easy job. Yeah, I think there were a number of people who believed during that stage of the Cold War, uh, the point before which we put ground troops in, uh, believed in their heart of hearts that everything was Munich. Everything was Munich. 
You know, we just had to stop, stop Hitler at Munich, don't you know? That was yeah. the big lesson that we got from World War II. We can avoid this if we stop Hitler at Munich. And so suddenly yeah. Hitler's everywhere and every place is Munich. Uh, Berlin becomes Munich. Uh, and so the Berlin Wall situation, Vietnam, Laos, uh, both those places become Munich. Uh, they were inextricably tied together, frankly. And Laos is part of the reason we ended up in the, uh, with the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, what was going to happen in Laos. Uh, you look at these situations and you start to say, okay, uh, the people that were involved, many of them, I think, believed that casualties would be lower from a nuclear war then or from massive bombing and invasion then because we had so much superior power over the Soviet Union than they would be later. And so they looked at this as a cost-benefit thing. I happen to believe that there are people, there are scientists who believe that shutting down alternative treatments during the recent event we all went through across the planet, the word oh, we will C not plus. say, to, C plus, yeah. the word we will not say so that Al Gore doesn't suddenly get a case of rhythm and, and, and dial us down, um, that they believed that there was some long-term cost-benefit analysis. Maybe it was, and they'll just hypothetically throw this out. I don't know, but I'm trying to practice right in front of you, this idea right here. They believed uh, in their heart of hearts and based on the calculations they put on the table that if there were alternative treatments, people would not take the big shot. And so they had to suppress these treatments, uh, which we know that they did. Listen, we just know that they did. And I've written an entire expose about this two, year, uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago now. Very thorough journalistic research project that I was involved in with another person, uh, Joanna Blaine, in writing. And, you know, we read the medical studies and everything else and, and can tell you that they suppressed this. They did everything they could. And they may have done this a second time as well. And they suppressed alternative treatment because they thought the long-term um, health of individuals in the public was going to be uh, boosted by taking the big shot. That's what yeah. they believed. Yeah. And... So if you had fewer people taking the big shot for a short-term treatment, that was a bad thing in their mind. And, and, I, and so I get it. I, don't, I didn't agree with it then. I was very resistant to it then. I thought it, it stood lots, you know, uh, 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 multiple generations of science on its ear. But I, but I understood. I understand. I can, that's a way I can begin to understand what maybe some of the motive and incentive is. They had good intention, even as they were busy bootlegging. In some cases, we're going to have they, to look at this. In fact, they might not have even considered themselves to be on the bootlegger team at that hour, right? These people yeah, I, did I, the work. They were still the Baptist side. They didn't realize. They may have considered, even inside the state, they may have considered themselves Baptists. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's a hard one to swallow, but it's an easy uh, it's an easy example to show how to extend grace. Yes, I hope it is. I hope this uh, provides some value. I, we've tried to pick timeless things here. We hope that this is an evergreen episode, frankly, that we can re repair back to reference frequently so people can come back because we are going to be talking about this concept in future episodes. And I want people to be able to, to know what it is in more depth if they're interested. They want a little more depth. I want them to have a place that they can go to learn a little bit more because when we bring it up in the future, we will assume that you kind of know it. We'll give you a little bit of it, but we'll kind of assume you know what we said here. Yeah, yeah, it's important. And it, and it takes a little bit of intellectual heavy lifting to start to understand it. But once you start, it's, it's it creates freedom that you don't have otherwise. Yes. So let me sum up what I'm saying here. First, that there are there are the Baptists and bootleggers' motives, their morals may be very, very different, but they have a 
joint incentive. They have a matching incentive that causes them to partner in a surprising way, and they don't necessarily need to know that they're coordinated with one another. The bootleggers do tend to know it. Uh, the Baptists tend not to. That these are archetypes. They represent the the profiteering side, the crony side, uh, which I think cronyism is bad. And that's the smaller side. That's one of my big insights here is it's the smaller side of the equation. You need a lot of unpaid labor to help get the policies that you want. The moral crusade is the other part of that. It's the much vastly larger part of it where people work at their own expense and energy, even to their own detriment in some cases, because they are so convicted of the, that they are making a better world in the process. And I have encouraged you to uh, look at the actors at this and understand that most of their motives tend to have a moralist component, a Baptist component to them. They tend to believe they're doing the right thing. And that is especially true for the people who are doing it for just that reason. And that we are frayed at the edges because we spend too much time assuming that the Baptists uh, are down the street or bad guys because we're Methodists or Presbyterian or atheist or whatever it is we are, that it's the it's it's regular people who are our enemies. We should be doing the best that we can. Grace is trying to begin to understand why someone is coming at where they're coming from. I will say to you that if you straw man your opponent, one of the people you're shortchanging is yourself. You're likely in an analyzing one of these situations quite literally to be dumber because you failed to use grace.